Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. This is the reading of God's word. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, it did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. We are nearing the end of our series through the first four chapters of Genesis. And if you haven't been following along with us, all of our previous live stream services can actually be found on our Facebook page. So I would definitely recommend going back and checking those out. You know, I've been praying and thinking about how to preach this passage all week long. And to be completely honest with you, I don't want to talk about anything but George Floyd today. You know, as preachers, we're often told to stay in our lane. Don't talk about social issues. Don't talk about things that make people feel uncomfortable. But I believe one of the reasons the church is so anemic in our culture today is that we're unwilling to address the things that people actually care about, the things that are actually affecting people's lives, the things that would cause thousands of people in our city to leave their homes in the middle of a pandemic to go out and protest. And the Bible speaks to all of these things. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we need this living, active, breathing word to speak into our lives today. Now, I believe that God in his providence allowed this particular passage to fall on this particular Sunday. Because I don't think there's any way we could possibly read the story of Cain and Abel and not think about George Floyd. I mean, how can this image of Cain standing over the body of his brother, a brother he just murdered in cold blood, not conjure up the images we've been seeing all week. And when God comes to the church and he says, where is your brother? How many of us would be inclined to give the same answer Cain did? 
Am I my brother's keeper? Why should I care? Is that my problem? And what we're going to see here in Genesis 4 is that it is our problem. That what's happening in our world today ultimately is basically Genesis 4 playing out in 2020. So in this famous story, you have Cain and Abel, two brothers. One is the first human to be born. The other is the first to die. And this is after sin has entered the world. This is after Adam and Eve have been banished from the garden for eating the fruit God told them not to eat. And what we're going to see is what happens to a world that is infected by sin. You know, one of the things my wife has been getting into during this quarantine is gardening. And it's pretty incredible how something that starts as a small seed, when watered and tended the right way, grows into this beautiful plant. Well, in the same way that healthy things grow, unhealthy things grow as well. Weeds grow. Cancers grow. Viruses grow. Sin grows. And what starts as a small seed, if left unchecked, can grow into something absolutely devastating and uncontrollable. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to unpack this story by looking at three things. The seed of sin, the growth of sin, and the weight of sin. Okay, the seed, the growth, and the weight. Number one, the seed of sin. Take a look at how this passage opens. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now there's a lot here I want to point out that's easy to miss. The first thing we notice is what Eve says after Cain is born. She says, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. With Abel it just says, And he was born later. Now I know all the younger siblings out there just died a little, but let's be honest, we all know that there are way more photos of the first child than there are of the second child. I mean, even for me and Carol, we have all these videos of our daughter rolling, crawling, walking, talking for the first time. With our son, it was like, oh my goodness, he's running already. And this is what we see with Cain and Abel. Now the reason Cain is particularly special is that Eve actually believes he's the one God was talking about in Genesis 3, when he promises that through her would come one that would crush the head of the serpent and break the curse of sin once and for all. And so when she says, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man, she's saying, I did it. The chosen one is here. Cain is the golden child. Now as the story goes, you have Cain who becomes a farmer like his dad and then Abel's a shepherd. And both bring their sacrifices to God. Cain brings fruit from the soil. Abel brings animals. And God looks upon both sacrifices and he actually favors Abel's over Cain's. And we don't exactly get why God does this, but based on the details we have in this passage, we can take a pretty good guess. Because when Cain brings a sacrifice, all it says is he brought some of the fruits of the soil, meaning he just brought what was there. Abel's sacrifice, on the other hand, consisted of fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Meaning Abel doesn't just bring God any animal, he brings him the firstborn. 
He brings him the best of what he has. In other words, Abel's sacrifice comes at great cost to his own livelihood. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, this isn't the way most of us approach our relationship with God. We don't often bring God the best of what we have. We usually give God the leftovers. We give God out of our surplus. We give God when we have time. We give to God when it's convenient for us. But the moment life gets busy, the moment things get stressful, usually the first thing that goes is our relationship with God. Because we want to preserve the best of ourselves for our work, for our studies, for our relationships. And yet here for God, it's not about who gives the biggest offering. It's not about animals versus fruit. It's not about the substance or quality of the offering. God cares about the heart. Remember how in Genesis 3 we talked about how the first sin wasn't a sin uh, that was about eating fruit off a tree. No, the first sin was a sin of the heart. You know, a lot of people think that Christianity is about behavior modification. Look the part, do the right thing, follow the rules. But this is actually the opposite of what God wants. God doesn't desire outward sacrifices. God desires our hearts. And here in Genesis 4, we see a clear distinction between the heart of Abel and the heart of Cain. And in the heart of Cain, we see here planted a seed of sin that's going to begin to grow. Notice what it says in verse 5. After God favors Abel, it says, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Why is Cain so upset? I want you to think about this. Imagine all your life, from the day you were born, you were called the chosen one. Expectations were placed on you. You placed expectations on yourself. And all of a sudden, you've worked hard. You're the older brother. And then in this moment, you don't get the validation and affirmation you've been working for your entire life. I think all of us would be angry too. But in his anger, we see what Cain's heart was really all about. That ultimately, he truly believed deep down that God owed him something. And this is where the seed of sin gets exposed, gets uncovered. I think many of us can relate to this. How many of us, if we were to really dig deep down, believe this too? How many of us have blamed God for the terrible circumstances in our lives? How many of us have thought to ourselves, man, I gave you so many of the best years of my life. I went to church. I served faithfully. And this is what I have to show for it. But you see, this is the heart of Cain. And we see this pattern throughout the Bible. And I'm kind of ashamed to say this as an older brother, but it's usually the older siblings that seem to struggle with this. Even in the New Testament, we know the story of the prodigal son is equally as, about, as much about the older, dutiful brother as it is about the younger son. In the story of Mary and Martha in Luke 10, you have Martha, the older sister, who's the responsible one, the competent one, the one who's running around doing everything. And yet Jesus rebukes her and he says, Mary has chosen the good portion. And this drives Martha crazy because she's like, I'm doing all the right things. I'm sacrificing so much for you. Why is it that I'm not getting the validation I deserve? And therein lies her heart. Because when she says that, when she begins to lash out at Jesus, all of a sudden you realize that Jesus is not the one in charge. Martha's the one in charge. 
She wants Jesus to give her something. She believes Jesus owes her something. Jesus is now just a means to an end. And this is why the seed of sin is so scary. Because it's often hidden. It's often underneath the surface. It's often disguised as good deeds. And we don't always know when that seed will start to sprout. Which brings us to the second point, the growth of sin. How does this seed begin to grow into something deadly? Well, take a look with me at verses 6 to 8. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, what does God mean when he says sin is crouching at your door? And I think he's trying to get across something very specific about the nature of sin. That it never just sits there. It's always lurking there constantly, ready to attack at any given moment. That it won't rest until it has all of you. That what starts as a small seed, if left unchecked, will always grow. That what begins as anger can fester into bitterness, then rage, and then violence. And this is exactly what we see here because in the very next verse, what begins as just disappointment suddenly ends up in murder. Cain takes Abel out into the fields and he murders him. And isn't this the way all sin works? Cain didn't wake up that morning and say to himself, you know what, today I'm going to kill my brother. No, it started with a small seed. Very rarely do married couples wake up one day and just suddenly say, you know what, today I'm going to cheat on my husband or my wife. No, it begins with a small seed. Sometimes a small seed of discontentment. Sometimes a valid seed. You know what, I wish my husband would do more around the house. But if that seed is left unchecked, that becomes like that sin crouching at your door. And it grows and it grows and it grows until it destroys your family. Very rarely do people wake up one morning and say, you know what, today I'm going to denounce my faith and I'm going to stop going to church altogether. No, it begins with a small seed. You know what, this week's been too hard. I'm just going to miss Sunday worship. You know what, this season is really stressful. I'm going to take a break from community. You know what, I'm going to come back to church when life settles down a bit, when I get married, when the kids are older. But we know that never happens. Because sin never gets better, it always gets worse. And I don't say this to be legalistic. I say this as a warning because God tells us in Genesis 4, this is the way sin works. You know, today I want to encourage all of us, take a moment to examine in ourselves what are those crouching sins in our own lives. What are the things that we've buried? What are the things that we've minimized and disregarded that suddenly at any moment could come back and haunt us in ways that we can't even contain? And as uncomfortable as it may be, I would say ask the people who love you and you love to tell you what those crouching sins are. Because to be honest, we can't ever see it until it's too late. You know, and I think this quarantine is exposing a lot of that. All of a sudden, we're seeing these small habits, tendencies, these seemingly harmless thoughts that we thought didn't matter, that we didn't need to deal with, surface in really ugly ways that's tearing apart families, that's wreaking havoc on our lives. You know, on the day George Floyd was murdered, uh, there was another story that started making headlines. 
and it was another racist confrontation between a white woman and an African-American man in Central Park in New York. And thankfully, that incident uh, didn't lead to violence, and the outcome was a lot better. But there were a lot of articles that came out that day that said, do not separate those two incidences. They're not as different as you may think. Because though the outcomes were different, the seed was the same. And if we don't check that small seed, that small undercurrent of racism, ultimately it will become something that destroys us. Well, what happens when our sin becomes too big to contain? What happens when we start to get crushed by the weight of our sin? And that's the third point, the weight of sin. Take a look with me at verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, if you notice, before God puts Cain under a curse, he offers him the same exact invitation he gave to Adam and Eve. He asks him a question. Where is your brother? Now, if you remember, God doesn't ask these questions because he doesn't know the answers. He's asking this to Cain to give him an opportunity to come clean. And yet, just like Adam and Eve, Cain stubbornly doubles down. He rejects God's invitation only to have to bear the consequences of his sin. And he says, it's too much to bear. Notice what he says in verses 13 to 14. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And we know this is what the weight of sin feels like. We know what it feels like to be so full of shame and guilt that we can't even look at ourselves in the mirror. We know what it feels like to have severed a relationship so badly that it can't be repaired anymore. We know what it feels like to, to, to seem like our life is spiraling out of control. And Cain is right. We can't bear the weight of our sin because there's a part of us that knows that we have to pay for it. And this is what God is getting at in verse 10 when he says, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. He's saying, Abel's blood is crying out for justice. You have to pay for what you have done. And all of us know instinctively what this longing for justice feels like. Right now, there are protests happening all over our city and all over our country, and they are all cries for justice. Every time we have to watch another man murdered in cold blood, the nation erupts in cries for justice because there's something in us that instinctively knows people have to pay for what they have done. People who have committed a crime must be held accountable. But what we don't often realize is that the gospel tells us we're just as broken as the people we condemn. You know, the worst way we as Christians can respond to senseless tragedies like the one we saw this week. The worst way we can respond to those tragedies is to say, you know what, I can't believe that would happen. I'm one of the good ones. I would never do that. No. The gospel says we would do that. The gospel says all of us are guilty. The gospel says 
all of us carry the weight of crushing sin and all of us have to pay. What price do we have to pay? And we read in Romans 6.23 what the price is. It says, For the wages of sin is death. Meaning death is the only fitting punishment for the sins that we've committed against God and against neighbor. It's pretty depressing. We have to pay and the only price we can pay is death. But the second half of that verse is good news because it says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the image of Abel lying there in a pool of his own blood is ultimately foreshadowing Jesus Christ, the long-awaited one, the only truly innocent man who ever walked the earth, who, like Abel, was despised by his own people, but unlike Abel, didn't bring an animal to the altar. He brought himself. And he shed his own blood to pay for our sins. Hebrews 12, 24 says this, that his sprinkled blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? It means while the blood of Abel cries out, justice must be served, the blood of Jesus cries out, justice has been served. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are loved. So today, let's turn from our sin. And let's run into the arms of a loving Father, without shame, without guilt, who accepts us as we are, not on the basis of our own merit, but on the basis of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come humbly before you today, acknowledging that all of us are Cain's. We bring our insufficient offerings, and we fail to love you and our neighbors. But we thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers and cleanses us of our sins. We ask for your grace and strength as we confront the crouching sins in our hearts and lives. And we ask for your mercy upon our nation that is currently so broken and divided. May we find rest and comfort in the hope of the gospel. We entrust our lives and world to your sovereign care. In Jesus' name, amen.